Are you ready for the most ridiculous internet sports show you have ever seen? Welcome to React, home of the most outrageous and hilarious videos the web has to offer. So join me, Rocky Theus, and my co-host, Raiders Pro Bowl defensive end, Max Crosby, as we invite your favorite athletes, celebrities, influencers, entertainers in for an episode of games, laughs, and of course, the funniest reactions to the wildest web clips out there. Catch Reacts on YouTube, and that is Reacts, R-E-A-X-X. Don't miss it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Regressing to the mean since 2015, it's the Hockey PDO Cast with your host, Dmitry Filipovich. Welcome to the Hockey PDO Cast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is John Press from Jaber's Rink. John, what's going on, man? Uh, not much. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, excited for the playoffs. We're recording this on a Wednesday afternoon. Uh, it's before pucks drop for any of the series, but the Capitals don't play till Thursday, so we've got a little bit of a ways to go yet for you guys to get started. Yep, champion. <laughs> um, so, I guess I'll start off with this. I, I think the the Capitals have a legit beef here, and I'm not sure how you feel about this, but I've been fighting against this NHL's weird desire and never-ending search for forcing rivalries down our throat and the end res- the end result of it this year has been um the capitals having to face a, a pretty tough flyers team rather than getting to naturally as a reward for being the best team in the eastern conference facing the fly- uh, the the red wings who are a significantly worse team in my opinion uh what do you what do you what do you how do you feel about that yeah i mean it's unfortunate you run away with the president's trophy and you don't even get the reward of playing the worst uh, playoff qualifying team in your conference at least uh by the standings and i you know i think even by other metrics besides the standings i, I agree with you that the flyers are probably a tougher out than a team like the red wings uh certainly or you know a team like the bruins would have been t- i would have preferred those two teams in the first round and uh in in large part because of the quality of the team, but also because if you're a Caps fan, you're hoping for a long playoff run here. And uh, part of a long playoff run usually involves a relatively uh, smooth first round, a relatively easy one. And I think the Flyers uh, can give the Caps uh, some challenges, not only uh, in terms of the play of the game itself, but also a little bit of the physicality in part because of that rivalry. There, there is some more of that legitimate animosity between these two teams than, than there might have been with uh, Boston or Detroit. So uh, right. not only do you get a, a tougher team, but you get a team that's probably going to push back maybe a little bit more uh, than some of the other options might have been. So, uh, you know, it's not the the ideal op- option, uh, not the ideal opponent for the Caps, but mm. 
uh, if this Caps team is the Caps team that we think and hope that it is, uh, they shouldn't ha- have too much trouble with uh, anybody in the first round. Well, that's something I kind of struggle with a little bit when I was forecasting all the series a few days ago in the sense that we know that recent results, particularly in the last 25 games or so, are a pretty good predictor generally of how playoff series will wind up playing out. And the Flyers had better underlying numbers if you just look at by look at score adjusted possession rates, for mm-hmm. example, than, than the Capitals. And it was one of those instances where I sort of had to, uh, you know, look at the context and, and of the cases specifically and, and think to myself that maybe the Capitals numbers weren't necessarily indicative of how good this team generally is because they've had their position atop the Eastern Conference just locked up for so long. Do you think there was a little bit of that malaise? It seems like an excuse, but it, it, it makes sense that it when you know that you're one of the best teams in the league and you're running away with a conference that it, it's a little trickier to kind of get up for every single game. Well, I think that's right. Uh, Barry Trotz has said, you know, you can't manufacture uh, emotion and uh, meaning in these games. And they did have the big lead. They also played uh, without John Carlson for a long stretch. Uh, they played without Brooks Orpik for a long stretch as well. Um, and, yeah, you know, you look at these underlying numbers, last 25, obviously one of the big things that uh, people in the Twitter circles that you and I run right. in uh, have been looking at a lot of, is that the, the projections that Micah McCurdy's put together where uh, I believe he still has the, the Flyers uh, as favorites in this series. And uh, obviously, you know, you can't uh, tweak your model every time you see something that doesn't necessarily pass the sniff test, but uh, you can uh, add context. And I think that the context here is that the Caps uh, have been playing a lot of meaningless games. The Flyers, every single one of their games has had meaning uh, as they've pushed towards the playoffs. So uh, I, I think that the the last month and change hasn't necessarily been reflective of the team that the Caps were for the bulk of the season. Uh, the the real question to me is, can they get back to the team that they were? And, you know, can they, everybody, you know, the, the favored um, expression, I guess, is flipping the switch and uh, whether or not they can do it. And, uh, you know, you've seen this team in the past sometimes, uh, back certainly in the old, Boudreaux Southeast Division days when they would run away with it. Sometimes they'd uh, get hit in the mouth uh, in games one or two. Even last year, you know, they opened up against the Isles uh, and uh, didn't come out guns a-blazing. So uh, it wouldn't surprise me to see them stumble a little out of the gate in this series. Uh, but I, I do think by just about any measure, they're the better team than the Flyers, uh, regardless of what these last 25 games might have said. Well, one of the interesting things about the the little swoon the Capitals had there, it seems like their play improved a little bit right near the end of the year, but for uh, a little portion there, a month or so, it seemed like they were really kind of just trying to get by without getting any sort of catastrophic injuries. And one of the play, one of the things that mirrored their overall team success was the play of Braden Holpe, who coming out of the gate was easily running away with a Vesna had appeared. And then for a while there, he kind of, um, I don't want to say necessarily regressed back to the mean, but he definitely dropped 
his play dropped a little bit. And I'm kind of wondering, do you mm-hmm. think there's anything to that? I mean, obviously his overall numbers are still uh, very, very good, and it's nothing to scoff at. But it just it looked for a while there like he was really kind of elevating himself into that tier with Carey Price when he's healthy and Henrik Lundqvist, and then now all of a sudden I'm trying to think maybe he's more in that kind of next tier with the Corey Schneiders and the Corey Crawfords. Not that there's anything wrong with that, of course, but just kind of right. trying to evaluate his play in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, I mean, he definitely, through just about New Year's, was uh, at, at the top of the heap and then uh, definitely fell back quite a bit. Uh, not not completely unexpected either. Uh, you know, when you're playing that far above some of your career numbers, uh, that's going to happen. And I think he dipped uh, below where we would have expected him to, to dip. Uh and it was important. He's played well uh, down the stretch, uh, and that to me is the most important thing for this Caps team uh, is how how he goes in, in the playoffs because uh, this team's going to go as far as he can take them. I think uh, mm-hmm. they have good forwards that can uh, put pucks in and. Uh, bailing out on some nights and they certainly did that i mean you don't get to 48 wins without your team bailing you out a few times i think uh i mean maybe martin berger did uh you know (laughs) but that 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 was he was doing more of the bailing but uh holby certainly uh won plenty of games for this team he's gonna have to continue to do that and that's you know uh, i think he is a uh, above average goaltender, certainly. Uh, people can quibble where he ranks in among the top five or ten or, mm-hmm. or whatever, but uh, I think he's uh, he's proven that he's in that uh, upper echelon. Yes. Uh, but I mean, you know, you look at a guy like Steve Mason. Uh, it would probably surprise a lot of people if you told them that Steve Mason had the better five on five save percentage this year than Braden Holtby. So uh, you know that he's. Not necessarily a slouch either, um, yes, but I think I, I do think that Holtby holds the edge. And really, I mean, this is this is one of the reasons, you know, to me, you know, when we're talking about the Flyers having that edge in uh, possession stats down the stretch, and I mean, even if they had the edge in possession stats over the course of the season, you know, what you're talking about. Uh, if you're talking, I mean, it's, it's not a huge edge, even if it's a, if, even if it is an edge, um, over the course of a series, you're talking about a handful of shot attempts, right? You know, sometimes, sometimes I think we put a little, uh, a little too much emphasis on the percentages, uh, especially when we're talking about a short series, uh, uh, of seven games max uh, and uh, don't really think about what those raw numbers might be. And that those are going to be pretty small raw numbers. And, uh, you know, over those raw numbers, you know, I, I think you look at the teams, uh, the team that's going to have the better shooting percentage, the team that has, the, you know, the better finishing skill and the team that probably has the uh, better goaltender. And I think that for, for this Caps team, you know, that's never, that hasn't been a possession juggernaut a la the Kings or uh, the Hawks in the past or whomever, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think that they have uh, sort of the, the skill 
up front the finishing skill and the goaltending skill to sort of mitigate uh, what they might lack in in overall possession dominance. Well, I think the perfect representative for that is a guy like Evgeny Kuznetsov, right? Where I've had people mm-hmm. ask me in the in the past, looking at his numbers. I mean, he's a top of the league leaders in assists and in points and all these uh, various box score statistics. And and people ask me, hmm, but his underlying metrics aren't particularly that good. He's not a you know dominant possession player. Is he getting a bit lucky here? And and my response has generally been. Obviously, he's hasn't been in the NHL long enough for us to purely know exactly what type of statistical profile he should have. But just from watching him, he does seem like one of those guys that's probably going to skew higher in the percentages, right? Like, I feel like plays that he sets up and shoots and, and, and passes to his teammates are probably more likely to go in than your typical NHL player. Yeah, I mean, anecdotally, he's a guy who uh, passes up some shot attempts. You know, he, he sort of looks for... Uh, the higher uh, scoring percentage uh, opportunities and uh, passes up some uh, shooting attempts uh, for that. But, you know, here's a guy who, and, you know, you look at the primary assists, you throw out those secondary assists uh, because, you know, those are a little bit more uh, noise, as some call them. Uh, And his his primary assist numbers are through the roof, you know. Uh, Here's a guy who had more points on the season than Alex Ovechkin and Nick Backstrom, uh, playing without Alex Ovechkin and Nick Backstrom for the <laughs> yeah. most part, playing, uh, not getting top power play, uh, time, uh, with that great power play. You know, he was on the second power play unit almost the entire season. Uh, and what he's been able to do, you know, if you're, if you're overwhelmingly concerned about his possession numbers, uh, and, letting them take away a lot from the box cars he had, I think you're missing the force for the trees a little bit. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely fair. I mean, he's just so talented and fun to watch that it's been one yep. of the biggest revelations because everyone, of course, knows about uh, Backstrom and Ovechkin and John Carlson and, and Braden Holpe and these guys, but I feel like people are still kind of not recognizing the, the remarkable year that Kuznetsov had. Yep. Um, okay, so the, the elephant in the room with all this, though, I'm trying to kind of put the capital season in perspective. And I know, I think Dan Steinberg wrote a great article about this a few weeks ago, or maybe a few months ago now, where essentially it, it, it could be tough, I imagine, for some Capitals fans and observers to properly enjoy this remarkable season they had as a team, just because there is that elephant in the room with the looming playoffs and just wondering that, you know, if they lose in the first round to the Flyers, it's no one's going to really remember this remarkable season they had. It's all going to be another thing where, oh, they just couldn't get it done in the playoffs. Isn't that like a pretty weird dynamic to have as a, as a team? Uh, you know, it is, but it, it's reality. You know, I think that uh, it was important to enjoy this regular season as it unfolded because it was something special. And uh, to me, ultimately, what this is, it's an entertainment product, right? We're, we're sitting there consuming entertainment product and, uh, it, the caps this year were wildly entertaining. They had a, uh, terrific goaltender, uh, pile up 48 wins. They had the only guy in the league who can score 50 goals anymore. I mean, heck he's the only guy who can score 40 consistently. It seems, uh, right. you know, they, they got, uh, Kuznetsov, Burakovsky, they've got, they were an incredibly uh, interesting team to watch uh, for the most part. And if you were 
unable to enjoy that as a Caps fan uh, because you were scared about what comes next, you know, then uh, I don't know. I think you're kind of doing it wrong. But the reality is that that's now in the past that, and what matters is this playoff run. And uh, it's, if they flame out early, if they disappoint, then I, I do think it's, uh, I, I think it's fair to discount what happened in the regular season to an extent because, you know, ultimately it didn't matter. It mattered in real time, but, uh, you know, and Ovechkin's goals matter and Holpe's wins matter and everything, but, you know, it's certainly going to leave a uh, sour taste. Like, I mean, you look over in uh, basketball, Hmm. As as your listeners love to do, uh, <laughs> and uh, uh, but you look at like Golden State, right? They're going to break the uh, record for most wins in the season right. uh, tonight. If they if they don't win the championship, how much does that really matter? You know, right? Uh, It'll always be, have that I asterisk think. with it, right? Yeah, right. So so yeah, I mean, it was a great season. It was a lot of fun. It sets them up to do something uh, special in the postseason. Uh, but if that doesn't happen. Uh, it'll certainly be disappointing. Well, do you think that is it fair to label this team as the best or the, I guess the most well-rounded or even most set up for playoff success team that the Capitals have had in the Ovechkin era? Yeah. You know that, that we looked at that uh, a little while ago, uh, maybe a month ago, maybe a little bit more. And uh, people treated it like it was an absurd question to even ask, you know? Uh, and, I do think it's the best team uh, of the Caps uh, of the Ovechkin era. I think it's also a team that uh, has a great chance to do something uh, that they've not done before um, by virtue of uh, a relatively weak Eastern Conference. Uh, and, right. you know, there's some teams there that are probably there for the taking. Uh, it would be nice if they didn't have to. Uh, potentially match up with uh, Pittsburgh in the second round. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, you know, it, it, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, but, you know, the 2009-10 the team was uh, terrific, and uh, the team that came the year before, it might have even been better of the team that lost to Pittsburgh in the second round. Right. Uh, so th- th- those were good teams. Uh, but you look at, on paper, the uh, defense and the goaltending on those teams was uh, not what what this team has in goal and uh, up front or on defense. And so, yeah, I think that that team could outscore uh, teams and uh, that was fun until they couldn't outscore them. (laughs) And it it wasn't. Uh, So, you know, I, I, I buy the, that the playoffs are a different game to an extent, but ultimately it's hockey and it's, outscoring your opponents and, you know, keeping them from scoring, uh, outscoring you. And I do think that this team is best suited to uh, outscore opponents. So it sounds like you're pretty, I guess you're cautiously optimistic heading into these playoffs. I think it's fair to say. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's usually where I uh, tend to to (laughs) come down on these things. Uh, You know, if you, if you can't, at least be cautiously optimistic after the season that these guys had, then, you know, you might want to take up some different hobby because, (laughs) you know, uh, if you, if you can't uh, see that this team is deep and uh, talented and well, well coached, well disciplined, you know, on down the line, uh, then, you know, 
I, I'm not sure what the point is. Well, listen, for whatever it's worth, um, I'm rooting for the Capitals. I'm an unbiased observer, but I just can't, I just can't deal. I don't think my head can deal with the uh, Alex Ovechkin think pieces if they lose in the first round after this season. So uh, I'm, I'm rooting against that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that would be uh, that would be very difficult to choke down yes. around here. Uh, you know, the, are you sure choke is the talk. word you wanted to use there? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But, uh, uh, people around here have been, you know, uh, way too used to things not going the right way and having to deal with, um, people, uh, putting, uh, treating this team, uh, as, uh, the same way that like the, this team's history, you know, like what happened in 1992 against the Penguins or something matters to the 2016 Caps, uh, and they're quick to lump everybody in together. They're quick to to give uh, Alex Ovechkin all of the blame. Uh, you know, that guy's been a bulletproof vest for this organization for. Uh, since he's been here, you know, he's taken shots that should have been directed at, uh, some coaches or teammates or general managers, uh, and he's taken it all. And, uh, it would be, it would be pretty devastating if he had to take another round of it. That's well said, John. Um, thanks for taking the time to come on the podcast and, um, good luck to the Capitals. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I look forward to maybe touching base for round two. Absolutely. We'll talk soon, man. Cool. Take it easy. And joining me is Thomas Drenz. Thomas, what's going on, buddy? Uh, it's going well, man. Just got down to Florida today, a long 10-hour travel day, uh, maybe 12-hour travel day. But, uh, but I'm here. It's nice and warm. And, uh, you know, perfect climate for some playoff hockey. Yeah, I mean, you're, you're yucking it up down there in sunny Florida. How'd you get that, <laughs> how'd, how'd you get that cushy assignment? What, did you just turn some heads with your uh, recent PDO cast appearance? Yeah, the uh, the the glamour assignment that I owe entirely to you. Thank you kindly. <laughs> um, I think this is actually a pretty interesting series. We're going to obviously talk about uh, Islanders Panthers, and it's kind of pushed to the side a little bit just because there are some kind of more marquee matchups going on in round one. But I think there are quite a few sort of uh, low key interesting storylines here. Yeah, I agree with you. I think this is going to be a fascinating matchup. I think there's big characters on both sides. And I think there is this weird scheduling quirk, right? Where we're opening with a back-to-back on Thursday and Friday. Mm-hmm. And, you know, then they go back and they play on Sunday night in Brooklyn. And so that's three games and four nights to open the series. And so it seems to me that whichever team handles that best, uh, you know, is going to have a pretty significant edge in this series. And, you know, they have two days off, so, uh, you know, they'll, they'll have some time to recuperate. But, for example... If you're the Florida Panthers and you're looking at playing Luongo back-to-back right right off the bat and then a third game in four nights, I mean, you know, all the older goalies and even Luongo himself, he's been outspoken all season about how much harder it is to recover from back-to-back games at his age. I mean, we all know Luongo used to play 72 games a year back when when the workhorse starter was really a thing. Like, I don't think anyone played 70 games this season, started 70 games this season in the NHL. But it used to be like a, a thing, right? Like Brodeur would start 78 some yeah, seasons. Yeah, off. You know, that's just what they did, yeah. uh, which is insane. Um, but, uh, but you know, so I think that's going to be a really interesting thing to see. And, you know, say Luongo holds it together the first two games, like does he begin to get show some fatigue in that, in that third game? Uh, yeah. So, 
you know, it's going to be really interesting to see what impact that scheduling quirk has on this series. I, I don't think it would be a surprise at all if that, you know, were somewhat significant. Well, you're right. I mean, he just turned 37, and I think they did a pretty good job of managing his workload throughout the year, giving Montoya Absolutely, some yeah. nice spells here and there. But uh, obviously, you know, I don't think anyone's ever really going to do this, but we know that the Panthers have kind of uh, dipped their toes into the more analytically friendly waters recently, and it'd be fascinating to just see them just roll out Al Montoya for, for Game 2 and just knowing how, how drastically goalies fall off in the second of a back-to-back. Obviously, it'll never happen, but that'd be just an amazing thing to see. Well, yeah, I think, and you know, I think we're going to eventually reach a point where a team would do something like, if you win the first game, you start your backup. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like something like that. Right. I, I can't imagine we're far off from, uh, you know, an era where stuff like that is genuinely considered, even even in the playoffs. Uh, yeah. But I don't think we're there this season, uh, and I certainly don't think even a team as you know believed to be as progressive as the Florida Panthers are at the moment. You know, I don't even think they're at that stage, uh, as certainly, I certainly would be shocked were uh, right. the, they to do anything but start Luongo for both games, uh, you know, in Florida. And it's probably the right call. I mean, I know Montoya had a great season, but I think on true talent, you know, I'd still rather have a fatigued Lou than a fresh Montoya, not by a little bit, especially in the playoffs. Right. And you want to lose with your best guys rather than wondering. Yeah, exactly. Um, With the Panthers, I was looking at their full season numbers. And I think uh, if you just go solely off of that, you're not going to get the full picture because they definitely made some pretty drastic moves throughout the year to remake their lineup. Right. I think, first of all, about a month and a half in or so, they got Dave Bolton out of lineup and they split up Good Branson and Mitchell, which... I think you could make an argument was the most detrimental pairing in the league just based on how bad they were at 5-on-5 and how many minutes they were logging. And then at the yeah. trade deadline, they acquire Kindle, Hoodler, Purcell, which doesn't seem like, you know, massive moves by any means. But I think that for the Panthers, there was no questioning sort of the top end of that team. It was more so the depth around and in the margins. And I think those are three pretty pretty useful contributors they got. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think the key is, is, you know, if you upgrade marginally everywhere, right, that can make a big difference. And that's basically what happened with Florida. And, you know, the Kindle thing is especially interesting. I know he's not been on the longest, longest leash. I know he hasn't been playing a ton of minutes, but, uh, you know, I really think this D, this decor was extraordinarily passive prior to the deadline. I mean, you know, I know sport logics by sport logics data. And I wrote about this actually. So if anyone's interested and wants to go check out the Panthers article, I wrote, you know, a couple weeks into February, uh, there's a bunch of numbers on, I mean, they were like 28th among, in the league in terms of how often their defense, you know, crossed e- either blue line with possession of the puck. I mean, there, this really is not uh, Brian Campbell aside prior to adding Kindle, they were a pretty, plotting group uh, hmm. overall and 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 good Branson's coming back into the lineup of course it looks like at least uh for game one um so I'd imagine they're going what good Branson Kulikov and then Camper's out long term so right. I think it will be Kindle with um oh my goodness but Petrovich probably right. on that third pair so you've got you know a pretty interesting look like that's a solid top six but Really, there's only two guys on that blue line who are a real threat to jump into the play and skate the puck, and that's Kindle and Brian Campbell. So, you know, I think that's an interesting dynamic in this series, especially because 
you look at the Islanders, and the Islanders, banged up as they are, have a really mobile defense core. And other than the Thomas Grease versus Grice versus Luongo matchup and goal, I think that's one of the biggest mismatches in this series. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, the Islanders, he can really skate with the puck. Panthers, not so much. That said... I think you're, you're, the point you made about the full season numbers is you know really well made, and I think it's really well made on both sides, right? Uh, if you separate out the Panthers' results after they you know exiled B- Dave Boland to the island of Elba and yeah. <laughs> split up Good Branson and Willie Mitchell, uh, they became uh, you know a credible a credible top ten puck possession team, right? right? And I think they're eighth or something, you know close to 53% since the deadline, mm-hmm. adding Hubler and Purcell and Kindle. Uh, so those are good numbers. That would indicate that they're pretty formidable. On the other side, you know, if you look at their last 25 games, I think the Islanders are only marginally better than the Vancouver Canucks, right? <laughs> there, We're talking about yep. 47, 46.5%. Yep. So, you know, it, it'll be curious to see if, I mean, generally speaking, how a team enters the playoffs does seem to matter a little bit, mm-hmm. especially by these sort of underlying metrics that you and I hold so dear. Right. So, you know, in, in both cases, you look at the full season numbers and it would suggest that this is a pretty even matchup. If you look at the sort of way that the teams, the more recent form underlying numbers, um, it looks like Florida should probably be the favorite. And I, I think they are. Like, right. I think they're a credible favorite in the series. Well, okay, let's discuss the Islanders a little bit because they've had a really weird year. And whenever I've interacted with anyone that either covers a team or follows a team, the response I've gotten from them is, I guess you could only really describe it as apathetic, where they're just like shrugging their shoulders and they're like, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to tell you. It's just been a weird year. It feels like, I don't know if it might just be unfair because we sort of had these possibly unrealistic expectations after the kind of exciting, rejuvenating year they had last year with all this young talent. Mm-hmm. And maybe it's just a reminder that sometimes, you know, this development process isn't just every year incrementally improving. Sometimes there's plateaus and you take steps back. And I don't know, am I wrong in saying that they've just been incredibly underwhelming this season? Yeah, no, I think that's a totally fair comment. I think they've been extremely underwhelming this season. And, you know, I don't, I, it's, it's very interesting. I have no, I, I can't really put my finger on it because I look at the ingredients there and it's like, I love the top end of their lineup. Um, I like their, their middle depth lines. I mean, you look at guys like Brock Nelson, who's, you know, scored a ton this season, right. but then also guys like Mikhail Grabowski, Franz Nielsen, like Nikolai Kuhlman. Like these are guys who are generally very sturdy middle six forwards who can play up your lineup. And then you look at that fourth line and it's probably the best fourth line in hockey. Uh, mm-hmm. So, you know, and then, and then you've got a mobile D and you know, it's, it's impossible to understand why they weren't more formidable five on five. Like really when you break down their personnel. Now, I think the Islanders have some significant issues. Um, I think Capuano, from what I understand is not the, uh, perhaps sharpest tactical tool right. in the shed based right. on what I've heard. Um, you know, obviously, uh, Eric Parnas has criticized his power play formations at, at extensive length, um, at every opportunity he's been given. Yep. And, uh, and from what I understand, his even strength systems are, are pretty laissez faire. Yep. So, you know, there might be, I mean, if I was to, cause it certainly doesn't appear to be personnel. If we're looking for why the Islanders are underwhelming and, you know, in lack of sort of without the ability to point to personnel, you know, we're left to wonder like how much, 
what percentage, what share of shot attempts would this team have five on five, for example, if they had Babcock, right? right. And I, I'd bet it's significantly higher. Yeah, I think I think Capuano's really kind of skating by on that mullet. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and you know, generally been good luck in the playoffs, right? Yes. So, uh, I mean, mullets generally yes. you know, for Capuano or the <laughs> yeah, Islanders. I don't know, yeah. Um, well, and yeah, here, here's here's the question I have though is because it's sort of the exact opposite of what we're talking about when we discuss a team like the Ducks or the Blues, where it's like, okay, if they have like an early exit, they could overreact and panic and fire their coach, and that would probably be a mistake because those guys have proven themselves to be you know above average upper echelon coaches. I wonder if the Islanders were to lose and let's say get swept or five games or just you know everything kind of falls apart if they gen- generally kind of reconsider the the coaching plan and see if they get someone who's available because I think there will be some pretty pretty big names available this summer. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's right. Um I you know, I think I I mean, it's a really tough decision for them. Obviously, the players are very loyal to Capuano. I don't think the players have been that happy in their new home this year. There's been some you know, not so muted criticism for coming from that locker room about mm-hmm. their new home arena. Right. And so, you know, I think there's, I, I would just say that I think the Islanders are dealing in general with a more complicated situation as they decide what to do next than your average team for a variety of reasons. And, and, you know, one of those reasons also is John Tavares has a contract that expires in the not too distant future. Mm, yeah. And as far as I'm concerned, that would be a major factor in any decision I'd make, right? Like anything to keep John here, right? Yeah. So, you know, I think there's, uh, there's a variety of dynamics that will make it a particularly difficult decision for Garth Snow. And, and the one thing that I guess he can, ha- that they can hang their hat on or Islanders fans can sort of be optimistic about is Garcino hasn't made a lot of mistakes over the last few years. Uh, you know, he's no one's gone from laughing stock to uh, a widely admired, savvy general manager more quickly uh, than Mr. Snow over the past three or four years. Yeah, that's true. I mean, especially at the draft, they've really done a good job kind of cultivating young talent. And it helps that they had so many high picks for so long. But I think even if you look at, you know, a shrewd move like parlaying uh, Griffin Reinhardt into into Matthew Barzal, basically, like that's a pretty pretty smart thing to to do. So I, <laughs> no. I, 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 I don't know. I, I like I still like this team. I just I don't want to see these years wasted because and I, I don't, maybe that's not fair to Capuano because I, I don't necessarily know whether he is a really good or really bad coach. We're just, as you said, we're kind of left to, to think that just based on the fact that something's not adding up. There's a pretty big divide between the talent and the results. Yeah. And, you know, that said, um, I don't I don't think this is going to be a gimme series. I think this is going to be hard fought. I think the Islanders have a lot to recommend themselves. I like their forward depth every bit as much as I like Florida's. I like the top end of their roster, even though, you know, the Islanders have some key pieces banged up like Hamannick and, uh, and obviously Okozo. Uh, you know, I like the top end of the roster probably a little bit more than I like the top end of Florida's, frankly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they can match up well with them. Yeah. And I really like the mobile decor. And though I do think... Florida's biggest advantage is going to be in net because Roberto Luongo is ageless and, uh, and a superstar. And Thomas Grice has, despite being an above average starter for what, something like 150 games in his NHL career, maybe 140, 130. Yep. Uh, he's never started a playoff game, right? Like he mm-hmm. has, he's never done it. Um, which is, but, but I also think 
Grice could be fine. Like just his lack of experience alone doesn't change the fact that this is a guy who has generally saved an above average rate of shots. And all he has to do is sort of be able to go shot for shot with Lou. And, and he doesn't have to outperform Lou. He doesn't have to steal games. He just has to be able to hang in there. And I think this will be a close series, which I really actually do think it'll be. I think this is, uh, you know, I published my picks at sportsnet.ca today mm-hmm. and I had the Panthers in seven. And, you know, Ooh. I really do think that this is going to be uh, I think this is going to be a long one. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, someone's got to win a series here and, and neither team's what made the second round in, in two decades now. So that's, that's something. Right. Well, uh, and, uh, yeah. and the other, the other thing is even if you believe that the Panthers are a significantly better team, right? Right. The scheduling quirk, right. Adds a variable element that I think favors the underdog, right? Mm-hmm. If you're the worst team, you want to be going into a series with an odd schedule, I figure. So I, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. I really think the schedule is going to be a huge story in the early parts of the series. And, and then going forward, it'll just be interesting to see if some of the Islanders, uh, you know, quality can be unleashed. And, uh, and on the Panthers side, I mean, it's just really cool to have an opportunity to see, you know, Yager and Luongo and some of those old greats. And then some of those young kids, Barkov and Ekblad especially, yeah. uh, really have a chance to accomplish something pretty special. Well, Tom, enjoy. Uh, that's a man. That's such a nice little little commute you got there from uh, from Miami to Brooklyn. You're gonna really, actually, <laughs> yeah, you're, not, you're gonna live it up in those two cities. Oh yeah, no, I've uh, I've got a Peter Luger's reservation. I'm gonna go <laughs> see uh, Wyatt Cenax. Um, You know, he does like a comedy night on the Monday mm-hmm. in Brooklyn. Um, I mean, I've got plans, <laughs> <laughs> and I'll also watch some hockey. Yeah, I'll also watch a bunch of hockey. And, uh, and you know, the Rangers are in town while I'm there, too, so there's a lot going on. It'll be a fun atmosphere, and uh, I'm very much looking forward to it. Cool. Well, how about uh, next week? Let's get you back on, and let's, uh, let's get some updates. Let's get some hard-hitting reports from the rink. <laughs> Sounds good, yes. I, I haven't had the chance to check in there yet. I was obviously covering uh, the Canucks season-ending pressers and then flew out early this morning, only got in late this, late tonight. I uh, just had time for a room service quesadilla, so mm. <laughs> haven't haven't hit the rink yet, but I'll be there bright and early with a steamed and pressed suit, ready to uh, you know ruck some muck and uh, and get into it. But uh, but it's a fun time of year. I, I've really enjoyed the games tonight, yep. and uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to a big double header here in South Florida. Cool, man. Well, we'll talk soon. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Cheers. The Hockey PDO Cast with Dmitry Filipovich. Follow on Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDO cast.